0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome one more time to... Encounter. Welcome to Fall Launch. You know, when we started this church almost 12 years ago, uh, the vision, the mission behind the whole thing was very, very simple. We just wanted to bring people who are far from God to new life in Jesus. And to do that, uh, the easiest way, the best way we know how, is just to create a church that unchurched people, that people who don't typically go to church, would simply love to attend. And so that's what today is all about. It's, uh, it's about learning about Jesus. It's about growing in our dependence on him every single day. Uh, And it's also about having fun. So I hope that you get a chance to enjoy the activities, stop by one of the food trucks. Let's do life together. Uh, Today at Encounter, we also recognize that people come from all over. And it's one of my One of my favorite things about this church, besides Jesus, one of my other favorite things about this church, is that we get to host people from all over the country. I get to meet people uh, moving to West Michigan from Colorado, from Florida, California, Uh, met people at these college fairs that we've been at uh, these past couple of weeks that are settling into Grand Rapids for the very, very first time, and like everything is new. I love a chance that like I can get out of West Michigan without ever leaving West Michigan just by getting to know the people around me at any given time. It also highlights the fact that that some of you are like new to Grand Rapids or some of you are new to West Michigan entirely and you're like going, this is a weird place. And I want to acknowledge, I want to own that together. Like Grand Rapids, West Michigan, it is a very strange place. So as an act of hospitality, I want to welcome you and just to point out some of the idiosyncrasies that you're going to see here in West Michigan. Uh, You've heard of the Bible Belt down south. I'm, this is like the casserole belt in the Midwest. We put mayonnaise on everything. We love uh, dishes to, to pass dessert. If somebody gives you a salad, it might just be Jello with like grapes and fruit suspended, frozen in the Jello. That's like part of our culture here. You might come from a place where you can easily turn left on a busy road. <laughs> You can turn left here. It just, you do that by taking a series of right-hand turns over and over and over. You'll figure it out. Uh, you'll figure it out eventually. And we say hi to everybody, and it really freaks out people from the East Coast because they're like, I don't know you. Why are you looking at me like that? Why is your smile? But if you bump into somebody, you don't say hi, you say ope. That's like our, that's our thing. Ope, ope. It's going to sneak right by you there. Ope. And one of the best parts about living in West Michigan. Uh, as, a, as a native Grand Rapidian my whole life, living in West Michigan this whole, whole time, uh, the best part is the beaches. And all joking aside, world, world class. And if you visited, you know, state parks, the, the lake shore on Michigan's best coast, the nation's third fresh coast, shark-free and unsalted since the beginning of time. It's the best. It's the best. And uh, as, a, as a native of West Michigan, I grew up Going to said beaches in the summertime uh, with my family, we would hang out uh, sometimes all day at the beach where I could play in the surf. I could look up and I could see uh, my my family's encampment. We could see the sand toys, we could see the umbrellas, we could see the little little towels. Also, I knew where I was by locating myself in proximity uh, to our camp, and I could play in the surf, jumping over the waves as they come in, uh, riding on the waves. I could play in the surf all day long, and sometimes all after long, I did play in the surf. And then something strange happens. Some of you who have, as kids, maybe even as adults, you've played in that surf for that long. Some of you know what happens. Hours will go by without ever thinking about it, and you'll look up from what you're doing, and you're not going to see your umbrella and towel and sand toy on the beach. You'll look up, and you'll ask yourself two questions. Where am I, and how do I get back, I have this experience playing in the water, jumping over the waves, going out, riding them on the way back in. And I look up as a kid, hours go by, and I have no idea. There's no umbrella, there's no towel, there's no little camp and sand toys. I think my two older brothers are messing with me. They packed everything up and they hit it. But what actually happened is, as you know, is you know that there was a current. I couldn't feel the current that I was in, but it was like pushing me. It was moving me along. I moved hundreds of feet down the shoreline to where I could just see in, in a faint distance now, the towel of the Santoys, the umbrella, the little encampment that my family that my family had. What we're doing in this new series is identifying that drift that takes place, that we are in a current. We're in a relational, we're in a financial, we're in a spiritual current and and it's moving us. If we don't feel like we are in the current, if we don't feel it pushing up against us, then we probably are a part of the current. And I want to acknowledge that with the, the image that we're going to use throughout this series. And we have uh, art installations at both of our locations set up. And we're crowdsourcing ways of like stopping the drift. More on that next week. But, but for right now, I just want you to have this image in your mind of a piece of driftwood. Incredible ecological phenomenon. A branch falls down, maybe an entire tree falls down in a, in a river somewhere. And this piece of wood will travel hundreds of miles. And I want to just acknowledge that the only thing that that piece of timber needed to do to travel all that way was nothing. Nothing at all. It just allowed the current to take it. And in this piece of driftwood, we see an important spiritual truth we see the truth played out for us that oftentimes we think of stagnation as having no movement at all. A stagnation isn't not moving at all. It isn't being frozen where you are. Stagnation is moving, typically, in the wrong direction. And we can see that drift happens, not just at beaches. We can see that drift happens, not along rivers with pieces of wood. We can see that drift happens in the, in the relationships that we have around us. Some of us, present company included, invited uh, men in my life that I thought I would be in touch with forever and said, I want you to stand up in my wedding. I want you to be a part of a select four people in my life that I know that I will always see again. Fast forward 17 years. Drift happened. We didn't intend to fall out, we didn't name the fact that we weren't going to see each other anymore drift happened. These past few years have been a phenomenal amount of drift that has taken place. You may have gone to the gym. You may have played a pickup game of basketball with the guys that you know for three, four days a week, and you thought, I mean, these are people that, that I'm around all the time, but like a simple move, not even a city move, but like a neighborhood move, job change, a new gym, Drift takes place. Drift takes place. And we wake up one day and we wake up and we ask ourselves those same two questions I asked as a kid on the lakeshore. Where am I? And how do I get back? On a deeper level, some of you have found that important spiritual truth to play out in a marriage relationship. And you're like, man, (laughs) there was a time and there was a season where I got like butterflies in my stomach just getting ready to go on a date with a person and it was cute it was adorable but it, it, was, it was it was it was breathtaking the the energy that i would spend in like planning the time that we would spend together and making it so so intentional and it's like 20 years later three kids a couple of jobs careers like we didn't intend to have the butterflies go away we didn't intend to not really talk much about anything except for what the calendar has in store for the family in the upcoming week or just day. We didn't intend for that to happen. It's just stagnation happened. It didn't freeze us where we were, butterflies intact. We drifted and we're waking up. Where am I and how do I get back to that that other place? Financial drift takes place. I've worked with couples. I've walked with families. $40,000, $50,000 credit card debt. And you can get out of that. We're launching FPU, Financial Peace University soon. Small plug there. But like you can get out. People have dug out from that hole in the past. But it's like, how do you get to that place? with nothing to show for it. Like how do you get to the place where you're still paying on clothes that you've long donated, you're still paying on food that's long been digested, and you're still paying on a phone that's long been a dinosaur that you keep carrying around? Like how do you get there? It's like, A couple hundred bucks at a time. Spending a couple hundred more here, there, the other couple does it too, $400 a month, that's all it takes. Over 10 years. Waking up, how did I get, where am I, how do I get back home? And and you know that spiritual drift is a reality. I used to love talking to Jesus. I used to love reading the Bible just for the Bible's sake, for the story that God was telling, my story, right there on the pages. You, know, you, t- you tell yourself, I-, I loved going to church, the simple act of worship and being with other believers. So good. Going to chapel, singing worship songs, well, like whatever the thing is. And now I got, a, I got a Bible on my phone, and so I carry it around with me everywhere, and it's always there in case I need it. <laughs> it's this drift. Where am I? How do I get back? We're going to recognize uh, a principle of the of the drift, and that's that a small change over a long period makes a huge difference. Small change, long period, huge difference in our lives. And we're going to see that play out with our story this morning. As we jump into our story that's going to highlight this for us all, I want us to I want us to recognize a couple of very important uh, truths. Uh, The first truth that I'd I'd like us to recognize as we get into the time together is that you'll never drift in the direction that God wants you to go. The second one is that nobody is immune from this thing. In, in so many areas of life, it's like the law of entropy. It just, like The drift just happens, and it's an equal opportunity employer. Nobody is exempt to drift. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how influential you are, or even how disciplined you are. It's like we're all in this river, and it's carrying us usually in the opposite direction that God wants us to go. We're going to go to a story and we're going to hang out in this story for the next five weeks as we continue on in the Stop the Drift series. It's an Old Testament story. It takes place in the book of Daniel. And today is Daniel chapter 1. We start in the beginning of the story. And we're going to see this thing play out. I love part of this story because uh, because the 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 story that God tells in the Bible is a historical story. Like it doesn't happen like separately from world history. I love that it like names the big movers and the shakers of global, of world history. And and we find our story, the Jesus story, like as a part of that larger story. And it it intersects in so many ways. Today's story is no exception. The Daniel story intersects this little itty-bitty nation whose influence punches way outside its weight class intersects with the grander story, historically, of the of the nation of Babylon. Uh, Babylonia is this kind of, the nation power that has come in, has attacked Israel, has just taken everything. You know, and we can we kind of see this thing take place. It's God sent like warning after warning after warning on his people and said, hey listen, if you can't live obediently in this land, I will teach you obedience in another. And it's a bit beside the for us this morning, but God sent a prophet, God sent message after message after message. Uh, love God and love your neighbors. Like, like, treat them with so much dignity, honor, and respect because, of, because they bear the image of God. And if you can't love God and love your neighbors like I do, God says, I'm going to take you away from this land and teach you that lesson the, the hard way. And it's an important truth that we recognize that God would rather have his people... Uh, God would rather have his people live uh, in captivity, learning the way of holiness, than live unholy lives as free people in their own land. It's an important lesson for all of us. But we we drop in on the story. Babylon has just taken over the capital city, Jerusalem, has just absolutely decimated it. And, And they've taken a select group of people along with them. Uh, The royal family, the rich people, the educated people, the influential people. They have taken back to Babylon uh, the the long ways. a Months long journey. And we're going to follow one and then uh, next week a couple of the friends along on this journey. His name is Daniel. And Daniel starts off in the book of Daniel with this simple line in verse 4. He's describing himself and he's describing his friend as... Verse 4, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Daniel does not, does not suffer from a self image problem at all. <laughs> he, was, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. The king is enrolling them and saying, I'm going to teach you the culture and the language. I'm going to teach you the the learnings of Babylon. You're going to enroll in this three-year program. It's like college. And also daily amount of food and wine. Not unlike college, there's a meal plan provided. (laughs) They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. I'm sorry, a three-year program, that's paid for with a meal plan, and there's a job waiting for me on the other end of the line. I mean, this sounds, this sounds pretty sweet. When, like, a month or two ago, Daniel was, was under siege in Jerusalem. The, the, these people were his attackers. He thought he was going to die there. And now he's got an education program, he's got a meal plan, he's got... He's got a job on the line for a future. I mean, these guys are all like high-fiving each other. Like, can you even believe that this is our life right now? Like, we thought we were dead and now we're here. Like, like this is great. This is amazing. I want us to see something, that, that there's a cost attached on this. You know, why, why would the king bring these influential people, the royal people, why would he bring them in all the way, make all this effort to bring them to Babylon? Uh, first thing could be, this gives him an upper hand in any kind of negotiations that might have to take place later. A second thing that could be the reason is they, they could be his hostages. A third thing that people have speculated is that uh, lots of people uh, keep trophy rooms, uh, keep medals uh, around their house, keep their awards prominently displayed in their places of work. King Nebuchadnezzar had a trophy room. It was full of people, uh, royals, uh, other kings of lands that he had conquered, the living trophies that he would keep all around him at all times. But possibly yes to all of those kind of summed up in, in the simple reality. And I, I think you guys might already get it. It's that if there was going to be an outbreak, if there was going to be a rebellion that took place anywhere in one of the lands that he took, it would probably happen amongst the royal family or friends of the royal family from that place. It would happen among the influential people. And there's this old saying, keep your friends close. And your enemies? Closer. Exactly. And that's what the king is doing. He's keeping them very, very close. And the friends are all high-fiving each other because they made it out. They made it alive. But Daniel's not so sure in verse 6. Among those that were chosen were some from Judah. And we get a list. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those names, besides Daniel, probably don't sound very familiar to you. The chief official gave them the new names, and if you've heard this story before, you might recognize their new names. Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Uh, or, as we learned at my kids in, in my house, Shadrach, Reshach, and to bed we go. <laughs> you, you might have recognized those names. Uh, what they're doing is, is a renaming. Uh, and, and we recognize it's not just like, hey, you're in a new place. We speak a new language. I'm just going to give you a name that, that rolls off the tongue a little bit easier in Babylonian than in Hebrew. So let's make it a little easier. No, no, no. The significance of the name change. Uh, from the name meaning God is judge, we get the name may Bel protect him. Uh, the name God is gracious to servant of Marduk. It's a local Babylonian god. Who equals God got turned into who equals Aku, Babylonian moon god. God has helped into servant of Nebu. It's another Babylonian god. You can kind of see the shift that's taking place there, can't you? You can start to see the current. Um, We don't know exactly how long that it took, but the suggestion is that it was days possibly even hours, that he he got off the wagon, settled into this place, and the change, the drift started to take place. And Daniel is going, I just want to make an observation. You changed my geography. You changed my language. You changed my clothes. You changed my name. You're about to change my diet. He goes, there's a drift. It hasn't been long, but I see the small change welling up. I see the long time period ahead of me, and I see the difference. There's a drift that is already taking place. I know, based on what has happened so far, is like, I realize that I'm going to wake up one day, and I'm going to ask myself those same two questions. Where am I? And how do I get back? And he's recognizing where I am geographically. No, 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 I know that. How do I get back geographically? There's no hope of that insight. And so he's kind of like going through the important pillars, the building blocks of his life. And he's going, spiritually, I know that there's a time that I'm going to wake up and I'm going to ask myself, where am I spiritually? Why is it that I either have no faith at all or a faith that is a shell of what it once was? And it's not even worth hanging on to at all. And how do I get back to that place of vitality, of life, of trust, and on dependence of God at every single turn? He goes, I know that there's a drift that is taking place. And I might not be able to do everything about it. But I could do one thing. What Daniel is aware of is what some people call the law of exposure The law of exposure uh, says that what you're exposed to determines what you think, and what you think determines who you become. And it doesn't take a lot of time, uh, but it does take some time, and it does take repetition and repetition. That's why I I see the commercials, and I'm like, yeah, but not me. You know, I'm not going to be that guy sitting in a movie theater. You remember those movie theaters? Sitting in the theater, and they do like the thing, and it's like giant screen, so it really has an an impact. And you're like, I am not going to pay $12 for a Diet Coke and four kernels of popcorn. I'm not going to do it. And I go in with a game plan every single time. And I go into the movie theater, and I sit down, and I see like the polar bears, and I see like the, the giant cups, and it's like splashing around the brown fountain drink into the Uh, iceberg-sized cubes, you know, in the cup, and it's, like, brown, and it's gorgeous, and I'm like, yes, I gotta get, I gotta get a Diet Coke, and then the, and then the popcorn starts, and the butter, and right now you're going, okay, I understand how the law of exposure works, dude, where's the popcorn? Some of us were like, yeah, but not me, but not me. I want to offer you a consideration that the law of exposure is as solid and as consistent as the law of gravity. It just takes a little longer to work. Nobody walks off a 10-foot cliff, falls to the bottom, and says, Man, I thought I was exempt from that one. I didn't think that I would get hit by gravity. Not this time. The music that we take in, the images that we take in. I didn't think that I could be so influenced by a marketing firm hanging out trying to dictate what my financial reality is going to be a year from now. I I didn't think those two would be connected. I didn't think it would be me. I, I didn't think that the scroll on TikTok, the scroll on Instagram would have such an impact on how I view myself, maybe how I view my own body. I didn't think that it would have such an impact on my level of Contentment or satisfaction, dissatisfaction in my life. I didn't think that it would hit me. Not like this. And it just takes a little time to work. Daniel, I think he's familiar with the law of exposure. And so he resolves I can't do anything about my geography. I can't do anything about my language. I can't do anything about my clothes. The name change thing, that ship has sailed, that's already taken place. But, verse 8, three words, but Daniel resolved. But Daniel resolved. He draws a line in the sand. He makes a decision. He makes a choice. He decides. He resolves to stop the drift. This whole story and everything that takes place in the story of Daniel begins, in verse 8, begins with these three words, but Daniel resolves. Daniel resolves to start or to restart that conversation with his God. Daniel resolves to make life together in a group of like-minded people a priority in his life. Daniel resolves not to let the marketing firm determine what he buys and how much money and his financial reality on into the future. Daniel resolves not to let the images that he's being exposed to again and again determine what he thinks about and then determine who he becomes. Daniel resolves. He draws this line in the sand. He stops the drift. He resolves. What? Not to, and it's a a word, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Of everything that he has available, the language thing, the clothes thing, he chooses food. Like food is the thing he's going to drill down on. And it's like, dude, that's a strong word. I mean, a month ago you thought you were going to die in Jerusalem and now you're here with an education program and a meal plan. You're going to look at the steak that's in front of you and you're going to say, I don't want to eat this because it would defile me. That's an insult to a very powerful person. Maybe it's because Jewish dietary laws, he couldn't, he couldn't account for whether or not it was kosher and uh, ascribing to the dietary laws or not. Maybe there was something something to it that it was sacrificed to one of their gods, Marduk. A lot of people think that was probably the thing. Um, I think Daniel had had to draw a line in the sand somewhere. I think he knew the power of the current that he was in. And this was like one area that he believed with God's help, a difference could be made. So Daniel resolves. Now, in this moment, I want us to recognize something. In this moment, you're like, okay, he's going to give up on eating. He's going to eat like vegetables and water. It sounds great. Small sacrifice. A lot of us could, you know, benefit from doing that too. Sure, that sounds good. Listen, though, listen. He's saying that the food is defiling his his body. It's an insult to the king. He's putting his life on the line. And you're like, dude, there's many, many, many more chapters in the book of Daniel. I don't think he dies here spoiler alert, he doesn't die here. He makes it out alive. And a lot of you kind of recognize there's a book of Daniel. It probably has a story to tell and he resolved and then died is probably not the story. Yeah, yeah. I've read the book of Daniel. I know how it ends. It's important to recognize we've read the book of Daniel. Daniel didn't read the book of Daniel. It's important to recognize that he thought, he believed, probably to his very, very core, that this was going to be it for him. And he decided, no, he resolved in that moment that it is better to die today than to live on into eternity knowing that he has turned his back on God by simply not turning and moving at all. And so he makes a decision, a resolution. And then we get probably to the two most powerful words in the story. Verse 9 Now, God. Now, God. It's incredibly important for us as a community. It's incredibly important for us to recognize that sometimes we, we cut God out of the opportunity to show up because we haven't made the resolution. Daniel resolved. And that's what gave God the opportunity to both show up and show off. Daniel resolved. Now. God is about to take over. I would love for you to think about the ways that you're drifting. If it's relational or financial, maybe there's a spiritual drift at work, and you've got to name it. And you've been thinking maybe for some time, I need to resist. I need to pump the brakes on this thing. I need to do something differently because the direction that I'm moving in is not a direction I want to end up in future time when I wake up. Where am I? How do I get back? And you're thinking about this resolution. Think not just about the resolution that you're making. Think too about how God is gonna show up and is gonna honor the resolution, honor your resolve in those moments. Daniel resolved, now God shows up and shows off by causing the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Who saw that coming? But, but the official told Daniel, um, <clears throat> I'm afraid that my lord, the king, have you heard of him, uh, who has assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. The guy's he, like going, okay, cool, I like you. That's fine, but just because you want to lose your head over this thing doesn't mean I should lose mine. But I also think that he kind of gives him like a wink and a nudge and says, okay, uh, I can't do anything about this. I won't do anything about this, but go talk to your local guard uh, a little little bit over there. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard that he pointed him on to, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, please, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of those 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food, who ate the good food that the king provided. I want to be clear on something. This is not a diet plan story. This is not the takeaway of the story. This story has been preserved for nearly 2,600 years and it's not a story that just highlights that vegetables are good for the body. Like like that is not why people have decided to preserve this and risk their own lives over keeping this story and telling and retelling and retelling the story of Daniel and his three friends. They have been telling and retelling this story because it's a story where Daniel resolves and God shows up and shows off. It's a story that gives hope to you and I to say when we're in that cultural drift, I can resolve to pick up the phone and to call a friend that I haven't talked to in a very long time and God is going to honor that with a response. It's a story that highlights for us when we resolve not to let this financial drift thing keep happening and like swipe, swipe, swipe it away, that when we resolve, God shows up and provides for us, maybe financially, maybe also with contentment, with satisfaction in life, so we don't feel like we need to fill that particular hole. God shows up and shows off again and again and again. It's a story that when somebody resolves, God honors that with incredible action and response that we don't get the incredible stories of Daniel getting thrown into a pit of hungry lions just because he was courageous enough to pray. We don't get the Daniel and the lion's den story without a Daniel resolved beginning. We don't get a, a fiery furnace and the friend's courage to step into that fire without a resolved kind of beginning. We don't get a very courageous story like we're going to see next week in Daniel chapter 2, where, where there's a, a dream, a vision. And Daniel courageously goes before King Nebuchadnezzar, who you can read about outside of the Bible. You can go to museums where his stuff is still being kept. And he tells that important and terrifying man, Yes, king, your kingdom is impressive. Yes, king, your kingdom is probably the most impressive that the world has ever seen so far. But listen, king. There's a kingdom that's coming. And this is what your dream means. The kingdom is coming from out of nowhere. And it's this rock that's going to smash in. And your whole kingdom is going to come crashing down. And that rock will turn into a mountain and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes, king, your kingdom is impressive. But it will just be a footnote on the greatest kingdom that has ever come, that will ever come, that lasts much longer, that spans much wider, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you'll just be a footnote on that kingdom's story resolve. And what do we see? We see the king honor that in him. We see God honor his resolve. And the tradition of learning, of studying and growing, the tradition of studying the stars in the sky, and trying to figure out what those movements mean, if there's any meaning behind it, they kept with it. And 600 years after the Daniel story. They kept the traditions alive of what Daniel was teaching them. And they followed a star. Followed a star to a little place in Bethlehem in a country long conquered by other empires eons ago. And they brought their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to this new king that was born. But that whole story doesn't get to be told unless right now right here you and i we resolve so resolve to stop the drift relationally financially resolve to stop the drift spiritually i don't know specifically what that looks like for you and you might not totally know either so i'm just going to dial some numbers and see if your phone rings (laughs) Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's a team. Maybe it's coming to after hours. Next week, if you're a college student, we're doing lunch after, after worship. Maybe it's just showing up for church again next week. Stop the drift. Resolve. And you get to see the incredible story that God has laid out for you. It might just save your life. If I could leave you with one story, with one picture, with one image, it would be of a young man, Indonesian man, a true story named uh, Aldi Edelon. Aldi Edelon was a young man, 19 years old. His job was to staff a fishing boat, and uh, what he did is he'd go out to the little raft and he had a little hut on the little raft, and he would just keep a keep a light, uh, keep a, a flame lit, not all night long. That's a simple job, keep the flame burning. As a, as a lamp, as a light out there on the open water off the coast of Indonesia, fish would come and then it was the job of older, wiser, stronger fishermen to scoop up the fish and to, and to make a living and they gave him a little money uh, for doing so. That was his job. His shifts would usually last a day or two at a time. One day a storm came through and broke the, the line that was keeping him in the place where he was supposed to be kept and it brought him out to sea out to to drift. And he was very much not stagnant. He was very much moving. And he would would try to get the attention of some of the boats that were coming in. He'd wave his clothes, wave his rags. He'd try to... uh, But if people noticed, they didn't seem to care. And so they just kept on moving. He was adrift. He was out there for 49 days. He brought with him just a a, a couple of supplies. He was planning on it being a a day or two. He had a little bit of water. He had a little bit of fuel for keeping the the lamp going. And he had his Bible. And he would read. I mean, that's what he was, how he passed the time. As the days turned into weeks on the open water, he'd catch fish. He would use the little fuel that he had in the lamp to cook the fish up. He would pour the seawater through his clothes to try to filter it a little bit. When he ran out of cooking fuel, he would start to take his raft apart, piece by piece, smaller and smaller it got, and he would use that for cooking fuel. He was scooped up, and you can, you can watch the rescue taking place, Google Adelai Adelang, 19, Indonesia. He's scooping up on this boat. He was asked by a reporter afterwards about the experience. He said, I don't know, day 20, day 30, something like that. I wanted it to be over. I wanted it to be done. I thought about, I longed to throw myself into the bottom of the sea and just be done with it. But he said, I also had my Bible with me. And he would open it up and he would read it and it gave him hope. It gave him resolve to live for one more day, to live for day 47, to live for day 48, to live for day 49, rescue day. All told, this young man drifted out from Indonesia, past the country of the Philippines, heading towards Guam. He was picked up on the way where he eventually landed in Japan, He traveled 1,647 miles. He drifted 1,647 miles. And his decision to pick up a Bible that morning saved his life. You guys, your resolve might just be on day three. Nothing happens. Hang in there. Day 49 is coming. Resolve and wait as God shows up and shows off. For you to stand up together. Let's, let's pray to that God. Jesus, we, we come to you now. and, Lord, some of us need a miracle. And we've been praying to you. We've been leaning on you. We've been resolving. And we might be in the, in the middle of the journey right now. So God, we lay it before you one more time. Please, Spirit, Lord, show up and show off. God, some of us need that kick in the pants. We can see the drift taking place. We can see who we once were, where we once been. And we're finding ourselves waking up and asking, how did I get here? How do I get Spirit for us we ask you to be our guide to lead us and give us the courage to follow after you you're doing something you're doing something in our church you're doing something in our schools you're doing something in our communities you're doing something right here in our lives may you carry it on to completion in your name Jesus we pray amen Hey Church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.